News Talk 1110-993 WBT. It's the Pete Callender Show. Hour number three. And if you're listening on the podcast, I highly recommend you back up an episode, go listen to the last one, uh, and then come back to this one. Uh, because I'm probably going to reference some of the the items that were discussed in the last hour, this hour. Because we had a fellow named B.K. McGinnis on who's running for U.S. Senate. Um, he's a Democrat. And, um, I, I mean, I know they say, they say any press is good press. I, I know that is the saying. <laughs> but uh, I did get a, a message here from uh, Michael who said, uh, do, do, where was it here? Pete, this is why nobody wants to call into your little show. <laughs> Make sure the intern mops up the blood before going home. <laughs> I enjoyed the discussion. Let me just say that. All right. Uh, let me welcome to the program Michelle Woodhouse. She is a candidate for North Carolina's 11th Congressional District. And uh, welcome to the show. How are you, Michelle? I'm good, Pete. Welcome back to Western North Carolina. It's good oh, yeah. to hear your voice again. Well, thanks. So your website, woodhouse4nc.com. Uh, how is the campaign going? Where do you think you are in the field? Do you have any kind of uh, gauge for polling on this stuff? Yeah, we feel really great about where the campaign is right now. We have all the grassroots support, uh, incredible momentum on the ground. We've um, got the grassroots endorsements, organizations that had endorsed Congressman Cawthorn in the last race, and they've come over to Team Woodhouse, and we feel great about where we are. It's a, it's a clear, clear choice for voters here in Western North Carolina. The establishment centrist uh, Raleigh politician who's running with the backing of Tom Tillis our current congressman, who we all had great hopes for, but at this point is unelectable, and then the America First candidate, Michelle Woodhouse. So um, what do you hear from the voters in the district? I will tell you that I hear from people that I uh, know from when I was up there um, who voted for Cawthorn, were very optimistic about it, but now they, they won't. And I have not heard anybody going the other way, so to speak. I've not heard anybody say that I voted against Cawthorn, uh, but he has since won me over. I haven't had anybody tell me that. No, I, I think what you're hearing is exactly what we hear on the ground every day. I worked the polls earlier today right here in Henderson County and, and working the polls across all 15 of these counties through this early voting time. We hear it everywhere we go, every event, every polling site. And that people are so disappointed um, in Congressman Cawthorn. And it's not just the salacious headlines. I think, Pete, if we put those to the side, the knives, the guns, the driver's license, the videos, all of those things, we put those over to the side. What's really resonating with the voters of Western North Carolina right now is Congressman Cawthorn closed three of his four constituent services offices, and he's missed more votes than any freshman member of Congress in the history of our country. And the people of Western North Carolina right now have no representation in Congress. What, when we see headlines around the FEC situation, the ethics situation, the closed offices, the missing votes, those are the things that, especially primary voters, that's what's really resonating with them. And we, we need a, a representation in Washington, D.C. that's doing the work for the people of Western North Carolina, and we simply don't have it right now. So do you think that he abandoned the constituents of the district by 
not just closing the offices, but I, I suspect that was probably part of the plan to move to the other district to run in, what, the 14th, or I don't even know what the numbers were at this point, but to get to, to make that jump. Do you think that that issue sticks in people's craw? I do, and I, but I do think that decision to move to Charlotte into that Charlotte market, I mean, it was a strategic move. We know what Congressman Cawthorn's plans were. That was to move there, to be in the Charlotte market, and uh, to position himself for either a, for a statewide run in 2026. I think that was pretty evident to people when he made that move. Um, but closing his offices and not being here on the ground working with constituents, that happened long before he made an announcement that he was leaving. I saw it on the ground last August during the devastating floods in Haywood County. I was on the ground more than anyone, and I was just a district chair GOP volunteer. I wasn't a candidate or an elected official, but I was on the ground helping our neighbors and working to help raise money and serve the community, and our congressman was not there. So I think his move just exacerbated the feelings that people already had, that he had, in fact, already left the district. Yeah, sort of reinforced other, yeah, other examples. Um, so, well, then let me ask you this. If he was making that move, you said 2026 statewide run, was that the, was that the governor, the idea to run for governor? Cause I don't know how I've not done the math on how old he would be and whatever, but I've heard that he had his sights set on governor. But then I also saw somebody talking about, uh, his, his hitting of Tom Tillis and saying, well, he may be running against Tillis. Maybe that's what that's about. Yeah. So 20. 20- 24th, and we'll have the gubernatorial race and elect Mark Robinson. So 26th would be the Senate race. Gotcha. And okay. indeed, I think that was uh, was the plan. I mean, uh, his specific plan in moving into that market. And I'll tell you one of the things that I that we continue to see um, when we when we jumped into this race, and and we know this transparently at Madison Cawthorn's um, encouragement when when he decided to run in Charlotte, he reached out to me, said, Michelle, I need you to be the America First candidate. Jump into this race. You'll have our support. He presented me to President Trump and Club for Growth down at Mar-a-Lago as the America First candidate to run here in the mountains. And as the maps went through their iterations, you know, he, he when he decided to come back, one of the things I think that we saw, the reason people had stayed with us is they knew Michelle has the America First message. We've been with her and supported her for months in her campaign and we know we have an adult. We know we have someone who has humility, responsibility, accountability, maturity, who's going to do the job both in Washington, D.C. and here on the ground. And so we saw no attrition at all from our volunteer base or support base. In fact, it grew when Madison decided to come back to the 11th and run. So you mentioned earlier one of your opponents, Chuck Edwards, who is a North Carolina state senator. Uh, he's being backed by uh, U.S. Senator Tom Tillis, uh, Madison Cawthorn called him a terrible campaigner and a complete rhino that prompted the backlash that we read about in that Washington Post story where you were quoted as saying your phones blew up uh, from uh, party people that were like, what's going on? Why is he attacking uh, Tom Tillis? Uh, and so it just sounded like also you're talking about the establishment. Chuck Edwards is getting the support. Uh, so. Do you think Edwards is a, quote, rhino as well? Is U.S. Senator Tom Tillis, are the, is he a rhino, a Republican in name only? Well, you know, I, it's not really a term I like to use, but I would say when someone votes in a moderate way, when they run on a conservative platform, that's what makes the grassroots volunteers, just like me, in this party so upset. 
when Republicans like Senator Tillis and Senator Burr cross over and vote for infrastructure, an infrastructure bill that has 3% infrastructure with the Democrats, after they got into office on the backs of Republican volunteers, that's what makes the grassroots so upset. And that's why I think you see, uh, you know, the use of the term rhino quite often. I look at Chuck Edwards very clearly. Chuck Edwards is a centrist establishment Raleigh politician. Every news article calls him that. The News and Observer calls him that. The Charlotte Observer, the Carolina Journal, that's what he's called. And that's not Michelle Woodhouse calling him that. That's reporters calling yeah, but that's, and, but that's the observer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if the observer is <laughs> going to call you a centrist in Western North Carolina, I'm not sure what you would be identified as. But, right, but, know, but, look- but they have a, they, they've got a bit of an interest in, in coaxing people towards a particular candidate, right? I, I mean, they, yeah, because yeah, they see, even if it's just that they think Edwards has a better shot at knocking Cawthorn out. Well, yeah, and perhaps what we see here on the ground is an endorsement and support by Tom Tillis does not endear you with the God-fearing, hardworking people of Western North Carolina. And people don't want a centrist, moderate uh, member of Congress, nor do they want someone who's, um, who is beholden to another politician who has really paid for that campaign in so many ways. I mean, Senator Tillis's PAC has put upwards of $700,000 in hit pieces. Every single thing that results for NC is doing is negative campaigning, and it's all in, in hopes of getting Chuck Edwards into this seat. Sure. And, and then who will Chuck Edwards be beholden to? Not the voters of Western North Carolina. He'll be beholden to who spent $700,000 to put him into that seat. Voters here are smart. They're, they're you know, the, moving from one swamp to another swamp. You know, as we say in Western North Carolina, that dog doesn't hunt here. So it sounds like the argument that Pat McCrory makes against Ted Budd, though. That's the exact argument. That Club for Growth has poured $10 million plus into that U.S. Senate race, and who's Ted Budd going to be working for? Well, you know, and I think that's the question that voters continue to ask. And across all races, I mean, they, you know, we're getting outspent 15 to 1 easily, mm-hmm. right? We're running, you know, that's, and it becomes a um, how, how smart are the voters, and we do see that the voters here are very smart, just like voters are across the state, and they're, that's why we're seeing the grassroots people, really a movement um, coming to us and have continued, has continued to come to us since, since November. And, you know, when, when we look at voting records, I think that's when people start to connect the dots. You know, Senator Edwards voted um, to pause the constitutional amendment on voter ID. He voted on the Senate bill that put social-emotional learning into our classrooms that opened up the doors for CRT. Um, and, and, you know, Senator Tillis um, is, you know, supports some of those same moderate ideas where the voters of Western North Carolina are much more conservative than that. We don't want to see those things happening here. Michelle Woodhouse, the website Woodhouse for the number four, Woodhouse4NC.com. Thanks for your time. Good luck on the campaign trail. Thanks. Make it back to Western North All Carolina. Right. We'd love to have you. Yeah, I'll be back up there in a couple of weeks, actually. So, uh, all, right. all right. Thanks, see Michelle. Take care. Thanks. Come on, who just tell me. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. 704-570-1110 and uh, 1-800-WBT-1110. Phones are open, as they always are. You are free to call and weigh in on anything 
that you may have heard today. Uh, I got a, a bunch of messages here. So, well, and by the way, one of the things I have discovered since uh, taking this uh, gig, this noon to three slot, and look, I mean, Rush Limbaugh held this slot for 30 years, and I didn't have any experience with the noon to three audience. Nobody, nobody did, right? So one of the things I learned in um, like drive time when I did uh, afternoon drive, and then one of the, and, and I learned also when I did nine to midnight here at WBT, especially nine to midnight, people would hold on for a very long time. They would wait on hold and you would have long conversations. We had much longer segments and that sort of thing. So that, and that's where I started as a host. Nine to midnight, really long conversations. And that has probably corrupted me to some extent. And that's why I usually go long on this stuff. So uh, that was so that was the first gig. The second one, though, was up in Asheville where I was noon to, or sorry, I was three to six. But people have more time to sit on hold as they wait in their commute home. Because if they're sitting in traffic, you got a, you're in the car, you got a little bit longer. What I have learned here noon to three is... A lot of people rushing around trying to get errands run uh, run, and trying to uh, get to, uh, you know, uh, to go grab some food, get some lunch, so they don't have time to wait. And I get that. I totally get it. So send me your emails, Pete, at the Pete Callender Show, or hit me up on Twitter, at Pete Callender. Uh And remember, you can get the podcast, so if you don't catch all of it because you are running around at lunch, then uh, go to WBT.com or thepetecallendershow.com. That's Callender with a K. A-L-I-N-E-R. Um, and uh, you'll be able to get the the podcast commercial-free right to your smartphone or tablet. Bernie, uh, so I did get a question about that. Please, something like, uh, is this going to get put up on the, on the podcast? And uh, so, yes, of course it is. Absolutely. It's going up momentarily. Right? Bernie was working hard. Over a hot microphone. Um, all right, so let's see here. Do, do, do. Got this from Ed. He says, Pete, I enjoy listening to your show. You offer great insight. Well, thank you. I am not one to call in, but I would like to offer some citizen thoughts or layman's thoughts on the abortion debate. Since Roe v. Wade became the law of the land, there have been roughly 64 million abortions provided in the U.S. Depending on the data source, you will find that two or three states do not report the number. So, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it excludes New York since like 2012. He says our total population is just under 335 million. Not accounting for natural or normal death rates, we have aborted a number that equals 20% of our current population. One in five. I find that shocking. There are a tremendous number of factors that make up these numbers, and many of these will be discussed at length in the days and weeks ahead. My reason for supplying these numbers is that they are rarely mentioned in most conversations. While the abortion rate is actually down a bit, the gross number is extremely alarming and really very sad. In reality, we have likely aborted future talk show hosts, scientists, doctors, members of Congress, perhaps even a future president. The miracle of the U.S. economy is restricted greatly because of abortions. Just imagine our economy with another 50 million creating demand for more food, housing, etc., thus creating even more demand for entrepreneurs and employees. I will not speak at this time to the right or wrong debate to include theological interests and concerns, but it's really and perhaps best discussed by people with more in-depth theological background and training, maybe like uh, David Chadwick or Mark Harris, among others. 
I cannot speak for women, but I can speak for myself and for those who never had a chance because of abortion. Pregnancy and childbirth are absolute miracles of God. There's no part of my thinking or imagination that causes me to think we have any right to interfere with his work. Thanks, Pete. Keep up the good work, Ed. Thank you, Ed. I appreciate it. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. The Pete Callender Show. About half hour left here. 704-570-1110. 1-800-WBT-1110. I want to just, uh, again, if you haven't, uh, if, you, if you're listening on the podcast or listening later on delay or whatever, and you did not hear the interview with BK McGinnis, Democratic candidate for U.S. Senate, trying to uh, run against Sherry Beasley, um, is an interesting. So what happened was, I'm going to read some of these responses to this interview that I did. So what happened earlier today was um, I saw him and his press release on Twitter. He put this press release out saying that we should expand the Supreme Court to 17 justices for, quote, better representation. It needs to be racially diverse, ethnically diverse, gender diverse, all this stuff. And uh, this way we will get opinions that uh, most of us want. And he was very upset about the uh, the leaking of the, uh, the opinion, well, not the leaking of it, but what the opinion on the Roe v. Wade case and uh, the potential overturning of it. And so... I asked him, when does he think rights obtain? When does when do rights attach to the human being in utero? And he refused to answer. And I went back and forth with him over the course of hours this morning, hours, just asking the simple question repeatedly over and over again. And he kept dodging. He kept dodging, kept insulting me, throwing out all these names, called me uh, knucklehead. And uh, yeah, I mean, other things, it's not important, but. You know, I I did not engage at that level because, truth be told, I thought I might be able to get him on the show. And I did. So I just kept asking the question, and finally he made some comment about, why don't you have me on your show? And I said, I'm glad you asked. Come on down. And I booked him. And he comes in. And it did not, I don't think it went well for him. I don't think, I mean, if this is, well, here's the thing. He probably would do fine against Sherry Beasley because in a Democrat primary, these folks would not attack each other or not, it's not even attacking. I did not attack him. I didn't call him any names, right? I just, I, I kept asking him the same questions and you could tell that he doesn't want to answer. He did not want to answer. He didn't want to call it court packing. And they tried to gaslight me by saying, no, 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 expanding the number of seats and then, you know, putting all of our favored justices on those seats. That's not court packing. When that is actually the definition of court packing, that's how it was used 100 years ago when FDR did it. He threatened to pack the court because the court wouldn't let him expand the role of government. And when the threat was issued, the court understood it to be the threat it was. And the court said, okay, fine, we will conjure up some new constitutional rights that allow you to do these unconstitutional things. And then FDR ran hog wild. That's what court packing was. And this is what I mean. If this is your opinion, if this is what you believe, then just state that. I don't understand this 
this this dance. I take it back. I do understand the dance. The dance is they don't like the term that defines and describes the thing that they do because they know that the description sounds unattractive to most people. It makes it sound unethical. It makes it sound scuzzy because it is. Right. You're flipping over the table. You're rewriting the rules. You're playing Calvin ball because you didn't get your way. For 50 years, you were like, stare decisis, law of the land, we cannot change anything. And then as soon as they're like, actually, you know what, this was never in the Constitution. That was a bad decision. We're going to go ahead and fix that. They're like, oh, my God, pack the court. So, come on. You're not fooling anybody. Just like this, well, I don't know when rights obtain, but I just don't think we should, you know, enter into any kind of a discussion about a woman's bodily autonomy. Okay, well, then that is, in fact, a position about when rights obtain, when they attach. And that position is after the child is born. If you're going to tell me that you don't think there's any role to limit any kind of procedure that's abortion-related until the woman, uh, uh, until after the point of birth, because before then, the baby's inside the woman, and you don't want to get in the way of any of the rights of the woman— then there's only one conclusion to draw from that about when you think that child's rights obtain. But then he also said he was in favor of Roe v. Wade and Casey, which limited abortion to viability and in Roe, you know, the trimester. So he's all over the place. But this is what I mean. If you don't ever have these discussions, you don't know what you don't know. The, I mean, I dare, I dare say some of his... Some of his thoughts on this topic seemed a little undeveloped, right? Like in the, okay, I'm not even going to do it. I'm not even going to make the joke. It's an obvious joke and it's, I'm not even going to make it. Let me go to these tweets here. Um, oh, by the way, I did get the message from Dave, the truck driver, who said he was proud of me for that, for the interview. Uh, Ron was happy as well. Um, this is... Uh, I don't know who this is. This is on Twitter. Pete, this is hilarious. I hope BK thinks a lot more about his positions. They seem to be the proverbial mile wide and each deep. Uh, sorry, inch deep. Emphasis on the inch deep. David says, how can you be charged with murder for killing a baby in the womb and yet abortion's not the same thing? Chris says, if you don't know the difference between a baby and a pancreas, then you are too stupid for dog catcher, much less U.S. Senate. Uh, oh, David then also says, also, most babies can't exist on their own for about three to four years old. So can we also abort children under five since they're not viable either? Bonfire Politics said, Mr. Callender is the mop. Mr. McGinnis is the floor. I'd say this is a great debate, but Pete is obliterating this candidate. If I ever had any intention of voting for this guy, this interview would be the deciding factor for me to switch my vote to someone else. <laughs> Well, appreciate it. Bonfire, thank you. Um, right, and I mentioned earlier how Michael said, this is why nobody calls it to the show, your little show. I had, I had opined about this years ago up in Asheville, is that sometimes people who disagree with me, they don't want to call in. And that's a pretty good... <laughs> that interview is probably a pretty good example of why, I guess. I don't know. I, it's not, I'm not trying... Look, I'm a nice guy. I was, Did I, I... I thought I was a nice guy to him. I was respectful. He was, too, except for the cussing. He did apologize for that. Um, 
David says he had no idea about anything. What an idiot. He talked about helping small business and never once mentions what he can do and then thinks taxes are not an issue. What a clown. Uh, Derek says, will you be posting that podcast of the beatdown? Indeed, we will. It just, Bernie just did. You're welcome. See, I'm training the millennial. He's a giver now, too. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. I'll get to more of these uh, tweets. It's a Pete tweet. I'll get to more of them. Let me get Dean on here before the end of the program. Hello, Dean. Welcome to the show. How are you? Good, real good. You you talk to so many people and give so many different viewpoints. And, and I was just wondering, I'm not I'm serious about this. Like, right. if the debate was, say, they were going to make uh, vasectomies illegal because we would be extinguishing the potential for life, and um, all... all all of us men are talking, you know, I mean, would we feel different having to listen to women telling us how to interpret this or? Whoa, 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 whoa. We've, I don't know about you, Dean, but I've been listening to women tell me how to interpret things my whole life. Oh, I kid, I kid. I, not really. No, that's why I'm calling you because I only <laughs> have one and, and we don't talk about the debates and stuff. And she's very clear on it. I am of the, no, I am of the opinion that. When it comes to public policy, everybody who, uh, I think, makes an effort to be informed on the issue has the absolute right to weigh in and discuss the policy. Because that's what we all live under. And that's the thing, too. This idea that somehow or another, you know, one, a group of people don't get to have uh, any kind of a voice in the discussion, is, it goes out. It, that is a deflective tactic designed to shut people down that disagree with you because I I would submit I am representing in my uh, in my position I represent the person who cannot speak for themselves which is the person that's in utero right they don't have a voice in that debate literally they cannot say anything that's what the that and that's what the state is supposed to be doing that's why the state tries somebody for murder for example the state is acting on behalf of the victim that is no longer there to be able to give voice against their uh, th- their uh, transgressor, right? So that's the. I think that is the completely proper rule. Now I don't know about what you were saying about the vasectomies. I I I, I lost the. I think no, I lost the point. Would we be Would we be saying what does she know about it? Why is you know, uh, you know, and and yet where we seem to be. I don't know. It seems to be as more of a male debate than it does a female debate. I guess I just wondered about that. So, um, you know, we we have different viewpoints, and I just wondered if we're trying to force our viewpoint. Um, you know, maybe the majority of women do want them. Well, the majority of Americans, male and female, want some level of restriction on abortion, particularly after the twentieth week. Is it is it a man and woman issue Correct. or just a woman issue? Correct. Is what? What do you mean issue? Do you mean those polling numbers I just gave you? No, no. The abortion, you know, the abortion issue. The issue itself is an. It is. It is a human issue. You get to have an opinion because that baby that's inside that woman is also what the father's. Fathers, father, mm-hmm. men get a say in this stuff too, and I know that's not popular to say, but. You know, it it does take the two to tango. And by the way, it's not just on the woman. Like, I've heard 
pro-choicers, which, by the way, they now they, they now say they don't want to use that that term. I got I saw some internal memo today about that. But they're now uh, they're like, well, then maybe we should start, you know, nailing the uh, the men with some uh, child support payments while the baby is still in utero. And my response is, absolutely, yes, yes. And if that makes guys stop to think before they enter into relations, then uh, then all the better, right? The sex has consequences. Yeah. I know this is a news flash for a lot of Americans, but it does. It has consequences. Well, um, sometimes I'm glad where I am. So uh, where, where are you? Uh, over seventy. Oh. Okay. So, don't have to debate the issue. Yeah. I mean, I can. I have a position, and I'll certainly. No, you could it, still. But... You could still have kids way into the seventies. I've heard. <laughs> like you said, it takes two to tangle. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. That does. Yes, that 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 would create an obstacle. Dean, I appreciate the call. All right. Take care. Thank you. You too. Uh, got a couple of emails here. Dan says, Pete, that guy BK McGinnis. Uh, he wasn't dodging your question. He's just stupid. I don't actually believe your guest was dodging. I believe he is, to quote the late Robin Williams, full tilt bozo. The guy appears to have the IQ of a freaking sugar-free popsicle. He also appeared to be pandering to an African-American voter base. Uh, Pete, that interview was fun, says Tim. Listening to him twist in the wind, I bet you enjoyed it. Um, Yeah, so this is the thing. I don't understand why a white guy, Democrat, thinks that we need a diverse Supreme Court, so he wants to pack it, but the white guy wants to beat the black woman for U.S. Senate to do it. What do I know? Just a radio host. Winterville's up next. I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.